Welcome to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and in this podcast series, I interview physicians, medical innovators, and entrepreneurs making an impact on healthcare. This podcast is produced by DaVinci Academy, a multimedia medical education company that provides podcasts, video courses, and digital textbooks. You can see more on our website, www.dbiacademy.com and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash DaVinci Academy Med. This podcast is sponsored by Doc2Doc, the personal lending platform designed for doctors by doctors. Do you have some big expenses in the near future? Maybe you're moving, applying to residency or fellowship, fixing up your car or home, or starting a new practice. Doc2Doc believes that traditional lenders overestimate the risk of lending money to doctors, residents, and medical students, focusing too much on the challenges of their financial past and giving them insufficient credit for the promise of their financial future. Check out Dr. Doc's personal loan options at drdoclending.com slash DaVinci. Hey everybody, welcome back to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I am honored this week to be joined by Ian Coons, who is the co-founder and CEO of a new startup called Carew Health. So Ian, welcome to the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Maxwell. Uh, happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So maybe give us a little bit of background on, you know, how your kind of your journey through entrepreneurship and how you got to where you are now. Yeah. So the, the journey through entrepreneurship actually started uh, when I was 15. Uh, my parents wanted me to get a job and I didn't want to get a real job. Uh, so my best friend and I ended up starting a curb painting business uh, where we would go door to door uh, we would, you know, put up flyers in the morning, come back. Uh, and so that was kind of my, my journey to entrepreneurship. But, but fast forward, ended up starting a healthcare staffing consulting firm. So we'd staff nurses, PAs, MPs, kind of up and down kind of the mid-Atlantic, Northeast. Uh, and then from there, uh, was recruited to run really kind of growth in M&A for, for two private equity VC-backed uh, women's healthcare companies, one in the, in the obstetrics space uh, and the other in uh, fertility. Uh, and then about, about two years ago now, um, was talking to a good friend of ours, Chad Moore. Chad founded Elego Health Research, and he was talking to me really about wanting to do something in cardiovascular care really stemming from the kind of the disjointed, unsupported experiences dad had with cardiovascular disease. And it just so happened that my best friend had a heart attack and passed away at 29. And so I always thought, is there a care delivery model and or a technology that I could create and or deploy that would have prevented the outcomes of the people I love? So the light bulb went off. Uh, my co-founder and I ended up doing kind of a deep dive on the current state of cardiovascular care. And through that, we got connected to, to the research and Mark McClellan, uh, who was commissioned by the American Heart Association, basically to say, why are outcomes getting worse, not better? Uh, and unsurprisingly, the findings of that research was there's no value-based care and general kind of misaligned incentives with providers. And so we ended up kind of doing this walkabout, talking to, to countless cardiologists all over the country. And we would uh, ask them one simple question, which is, if you had unlimited time and resources, how would you build a delivery model that actually put patients first, drove those outcomes and change. And they universally came back and said it had to be this hybrid delivery model where we're partnering with existing cardiology practices, networks, and systems, and enabling value-based care through these wraparound services, nutrition, health coach, and the technology to, to really shift from a, the current fee-for-service world to, to a value-based care arrangements. 
um, and really focusing initially on, on the sickest of the sick um, cardiovascular patients uh, that that need us the most. Yeah, thanks for that that overview. That's really interesting. I think it's interesting that you kind of initially started with going to the like the clinicians, the end users on the ground, and and saying like, what if you had if you? And I, I think that's an interesting way you put it. If, if you could do anything, like how what would you do to solve this? I think that's really. I feel like some startups kind of miss the mark sometimes with that. Yeah, no, you're 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 spot on. So we we specifically did this, and this is from lots of lessons learned and and scars along the way from from entrepreneurial and businesses we've been a part of, and that that we're investors in and friends of. Where uh, you know we think that a lot of these VBC uh, companies have failed, um, not intentionally, but they've gone to the payers directly uh, to get delegation, which has ultimately led to this you know, siloed where, you know, there's nephrologists, oncologists and PCPs not knowing that their own patients are, are essentially delegated to, to this other entity. And, and so we really were mindful to create this bottom ups approach where, you know, we're, we're partnering and building trust initially with those, those cardiologists at, at, at the, at the local level. Very cool. So I guess what, what in a in a general sense, what stage are you guys at right now? And then maybe walk us through your your platform and your program, like how it works both on the patient end and then on the the cardiologist end. Yeah. So in terms of stage, so we can we can go through it, but we just are closing and announcing our uh, second round of financing or our seed round. So we ended up uh, raising an oversubscribed amount led by First Capital, um, uh, First Trust Capital, sorry, uh, out of Chicago. Um, and, and that's really going to help us operationalize um, and launch with our first uh, contracted partners in, in both Arizona and New Mexico, uh, awesome. where we are launching and partnering with a uh, hundred plus um, providers, cardiologists, uh, one hundred sixty-five thousand patients uh, in, in, in over over those two states. Um, so that's kind of what the the proceeds are are used for. Um, but ultimately, what the services where uh, in which Carew provides is, is really the the wraparound services and the technology to be successful within value based care. And so traditionally, the way that we think about it is is cardiologists and practitioners are really good at medicine. They're really good at talking and 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 being there for their patients, but they don't have all the resources necessary to be successful in, in the kind of new wave of, of value-based care that requires additional resources and, and technology to truly be successful in, in, in value-based care. And so it, with our initial launch partners, they actually went to the payers themselves after being really frustrated with um, seeing their patients end up in the ED over and over again. And they went to the payer saying, hey, there's got to be an alternative way uh, to, to be compensated. And ultimately, uh, when the payers asked the providers, hey, how are you going to be successful? They were like, we don't know. And so it was kind of opportunistically that that they reached out to, to us to, to help be that initial partner. And so traditionally within uh, the patient population in which you're starting, so think of kind of the sicker of the sick, they, they have a typical PMPY of 47,000 on average. These are, you know, chronic patients that they're going to be visit the ED eight to 10 times. And the typical patient experience in, in its current form, and it's no fault of the patients and no fault to the cardiologist in a, in a fee-for-service model is 
you know, this patient waits weeks and weeks or months and months to get in to see the cardiologist only don't really be told work out, be healthy, see you later. Um, and, and that person who's already hypersensitive to their condition, um, will have, you know, tachycardia or they will feel something and they don't know, or don't have the support to maneuver through. Is this something that they should go to the ED for? Should they get the attention for and the support in their journey to make those changes that they would recognize? Let's not go to the ED. Um, only for them to call their cardiologist who is, is closed and it'll say, if this is a medical emergency, go to, go to the ED. And so instead, um, we've kind of re-engineered the way um, uh, from a, a support and, and wraparound of that, that practice. And so in, in, its, in, in, the, in the new wave of, of the Carew patient experience, that patient will come in. Um, we will risk stratify through our technology of the inclusion criteria of this patient meets the, the is Karu eligible. And then when that cardiologist meets them and, you know, they're typical of workout, be healthy, they'll say, you know, Maxwell, you need uh, additional services that our partner Karu can really help effectuate this care plan. That's going to help stop that progression of cardiovascular disease in the form you have it. And so once they do, they'll say, there's a Karoo coach waiting for you in, uh, in, the, in the lobby. And our Karoo coach will, will meet that individual, go through it and say, Maxwell, uh, you have CHF or you have that to, to give them um, really the education that they need and effectuate that care plan. Um, and that care plan for the way that, that we are an extension of the providers so whether that's nutrition is the primary driver of cardiovascular, their, their cardiovascular condition, or it's uh, the health coaching from a, a psychological, we're there to help support them, uh, you know, giving them 24 seven access and a, and a member uh, to really effectuate that care plan. So instead of text, they have a 24 seven text access um, and, and their daily weights. And so these are things that are text message on the front end, but on the back end, they're actually um, on top of the EMR. So in its current um, form, a cardiologist will kind of send their patient out to the ethos and never get them back and know where they are. Instead, our technology through APIs is, is on top of the our partner's EMR. And it'll kind of effectuate saying, hey, Maxwell, weight has gone up three pounds in three days. It flags that. Uh, for, you know, built up a fluid, we need to reach out, there likely will be an event. And so these are the things that um, we're doing. And then on the back end, we're really transitioning those providers to value-based care, right? How they're doing from a contractual uh, perspective and also defining what's good within a network, right? What percentage of the provider's Patients are adhering to medication or adhering to, you know, kind of smoking cessation, all of those things to define what are those successful metrics we need to, to be successful within a, you know, value-based care arrangement. It's, it's really interesting. And, you know, it's like you said, extending what the provider offers, you know, because like you said, a physician these days in clinic, if they're lucky, you can see someone 10, 15 minutes, and then they're on to the next one, if that even, and every, every patient's experienced that you wait and wait. And then you talk to them for five, 10 minutes, and then that's it. I think it's really interesting that you're extending that coverage and that, you know, further, you know, allowing that provider to essentially, you know, 
carry out their their treatment plan in a, in a monitored way. I'm curious from the the monitoring standpoint. So the physician, you said it's built onto the EMR. Can the physician essentially track their patients and and see like how they're doing, okay. or, is, or is or is that through through is that something more on your guys end that you're providing? No, so RPI, so it's it's um, integrated into their EMR. So at any time, they can see how Maxwell is tracking based upon their their care plan that 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 they have essentially uh, ordered, um, and and see how we're doing as a as a team uh, against that care plan. Interesting. Interesting. I'm curious from the the reimbursement standpoint is is how how is this? I guess essentially, how does your business make money? And then do the prep? What's the incentive? Obviously, to to deliver great patient care, but what also is there any incentive financially for the practices as well to partner with you guys? Yeah, absolutely. So we are there's uh, there's several in, in other disease states, you know, SaaS offerings or you know vendors that they'll, they'll charge a fee or they'll charge you know, something for their services or technology. We've approached it a lot different saying that we're entering actually as a percentage into JVs directly with our cardiologists. And so we only succeed financially um, if the cardiologist uh, and us are successful, right? Uh, so they, everyone is aligned in, in taking that step and moving forward together as, as a united front. Um, so we're going into um, risk-based contracts and giving those revenue lifts to those providers. So essentially the value add um, to, to the cardiologists and the groups is we're off, they're offloading those hard to deal with uh, cardiac patients into a financially aligned partner. Um, and then we're sharing in the savings into the arrangements that we have with the payers with the, the the provider group, so they're get, seeing that revenue lift that that they otherwise wouldn't wouldn't see, and they're most importantly doing right by the patients that they know are going to show up in the ED, but they you know morally fundamentally um, you know want to do right by by the patient. Great, no, and I think that's it, especially for you know especially for certain conditions like heart failure or something like that, where you see. You see it time and time again. These patients, like you said, they're they're in the ED over and over again. They're you know they get short of breath or chest pain or whatnot, and they and they always go back. And it's it's you know it's a terrible burden to the healthcare system in, in terms of finances. And it's a bad experience for the patient. Like who wants to go to the ER on a regular basis? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting <laughs> that you, you say that. One of our cardiologists um, runs a, a very very large group and and was on call I don't know six months a year ago. Uh, and I, and I tell this story often because I think it's indicative of our current system and the way that cardiologists are, are feeling. And so I asked him, he was on call for the weekend. I asked him how, how it went and he said, listen, it was great, but we had 55 cardiac admissions in a single weekend from just his practice. And you start thinking about that of just how, how many people should be there. And that was the question we ultimately asked is of these patients, how many of them needed to be here? And, and he undoubtedly said, listen, 50 to 75% of these absolutely don't need to be here with basic intervention support, you know, throughout the journey. And so it's just kind of indicative of, of, of the system in which we, you know, currently operate. Very cool. Very cool. And as far as the, the staff support, you, you were, you mentioned that there's, there's a coach involved for, for each patient. I guess, is there also like, like you said, nutrition is obviously a huge part. Of, is there like a nutritionist component or dietitian component that you guys are providing as well? Yeah. So it's twofold. So the the quarterback of 
of our team is the, is the health coach and, and their seasoned experience, mostly in behavioral change, right, of getting, they, they typically will be licensed social workers or, 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 or of that you know, kind of background and, and, and expertise really to effectuate support, be the quarterback of that team. But in certain cases for cardiovascular uh, disease, the real drivers of that is nutrition is the issue. Um, it's probably 20 to 30% of our patients will ultimately need nutritional services. The, the primary driver of of that progression of cardiovascular disease. However, we um, do have smoking cessation and, and others that that are also contributing to uh, that progression. And so uh, we ensure, you know, some patients may have it and some, some may not. Interesting. Are there certain patients, I know you're obviously in the sphere of cardiovascular care, but even within that, are there certain patient populations you guys are initially focusing with in your launch? And, and if so, why, why those specific uh, patient populations? Yeah, so we're, we're really focusing on, on the on the sicker of the sick population to start. Part of that is um, we can effectuate the greatest change um, with that population. So these people have CHF, they have advanced you know cardiovascular disease in one form or another. The average kind of PMPY on these patients is you know forty seven thousand, right? And so when we restratify that patient through our technology, um, there is an inclusion criteria based on, you know, CPT codes, IC9, 10, um, that we, we deploy um, that, that meets that. And so it's really in, in the initial phase of that sickness where from an attribution perspective, it's also easier to demonstrate a direct correlation in cost and spend to the activities in which Carew provides that we don't have to go to the payers and, and fight over attribution because if someone does or doesn't go to the ED eight, 10 times with primary diagnosis of cardiovascular, um, it's in, it's an easier attribution. Um, now, over time, uh, as we expand and grow into other markets and, and work with large payers, which we are in health systems, uh, then we will ultimately deploy kind of a, a lighter touch model for the broader cardiovascular population. But if you think about uh, a typical cardi uh, cardiologist panel, about 50% of our uh, patient panel is what we, we deem Karoo eligible. Now, if you talk to cardiologists, typically they're going to refer about a third of their patients uh, to, to Karoo. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. And then, like you said, you, you just or announced your uh, recent fundraise. Congratulations on that first. And then uh, I guess second is, I guess, what do you think, what are some things you did well, like as a company? And then also in terms of just kind of your guys' overall mission to, you know, facilitate that fundraise, I guess, what, what made you guys uh, successful in that regard? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we're fortunate in, in this economic time at this stage to, to get funded. I'm not um, naive to, to, to think otherwise. Um, you know, I, I think if we had raised, started our raise months later, I don't know if we would have actually gotten funded. Uh, but, but through the process, we've, we've made great strides. We've hired, um, you know, really well-known people, um, we've demonstrated the desire to, from both the payer side and, and the network side and cardiologist side to move into value-based care in an alternative way to get paid for the services that they currently render. Um, and so I think all of those were, um, 
really the the things that we've demonstrated that ultimately led to um, being funded with you know one of the, the the best kind of healthcare VCs out there in First Trust. Um, who, who led our round and, and Panoramic Ventures, who, who led our previous round. I think having those, you know, kind of blue chip um, VCs believe in the model and really have a testament to kind of the belief of where the market is going. Um, you know, I, I have a, a certain viewpoint that version one, 1.0 of value-based care was just direct delegation to risk-bearing PCPs. And I think through the OIG memos and other things from, from payers that have come out recently to say, you know, the PCPs are fantastic, but they probably shouldn't be managing complex congestive heart failure. Um, and so either they're mandating a sub cap to cardiovascular networks or a direct delegation that they've done in, in, in other uh, disease verticals like um, oncology and uh, nephrology, right? And so that's kind of where the puck is. And I think there was full alignment with First Trust and Panoramic and our notable angels that, that that's where the future is heading. And uh, we have the team and the expertise um, to, to be the leader in, you know, what really is the greatest, I'll, I'll say, the the greatest crisis right of our cardi our, our healthcare system which is cardiovascular disease sure sure no that makes sense i guess what what's your advice for like a a budding entrepreneur out there who wants to you know they've reached a stage where they want you know they feel like they need to raise money what, what would your advice be for getting like these high you know notable investors you know investors that high value investors if you will for for their startup what's what's your advice on that I mean, I, I think it's it's twofold, right? I mean, um, one, I think it's having them solving a problem that is unique to them um, or that they're passionate about, um, because the reality is, uh, as an entrepreneur, you spend every waking hour thinking about solving this problem that has burned into you at some point, right? Um, and, and I think that a lot of VCs understand that, that when they are talking to the, the young budding entrepreneur, that there's a there's a specific problem that they're trying to solve that they're connected to in some way, whether it's personal or they're just super passionate about it. Um, I think that that's one. And then just really doing their diligence on and trying to recruit that top team um, that can supplement um, the um, functional areas that, that they may lack, right? Like my co-founder is, you know, one of the best, you know, finance executives in the entire industry. Um, our COO came from, was the COO and ran ops for uh, City Block and Somatis, right? And, and then our rest of our ops team are VBC experts that have scars and scars of 10, 15 years you know, in the early days of VBC and then really taking, you know, recruiting those type of people uh, that see the North Star of ultimately, you know, hey, they want to join an organization that has that North Star that they're trying to solve something paramount to to society. Very cool. I guess it, as we get uh, close to closing out here, I wanted to ask you kind of just your, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I guess your thoughts on uh, value-based care and like where startups and, you know, digital health and technology will kind of play that role in the next, you know, I don't know, two, five years or so, like where, where you kind of see those trends going for that in that world. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I think it goes back to to my earlier comment. I think we I see a world where um, value based care does get more sliced up by disease state, um, and that there's more collaboration that's mandated by payers and and kind of government, you know, Medicare entities that hey, as a PCP, you're not going to get all these dollars. You have to work with said, and, and that'll create that continuity of care across providers and specialists that in its current state doesn't necessarily lend itself to. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I think, you know, value-based care, it's not just like a buzzword anymore, you know, that people throw on. I think it's something that we've seen, you know, recently over recent years, you know, people take more seriously because it's like we were talking about earlier. It's a, it's not just bad financially. It's a bad experience for the patient to have to go to the ER or be admitted multiple times. It's it's just so much better to prevent these things from happening before they actually do. Yeah. I mean, listen for, for everyone, even for me who, and, and I'll, and I'll end on, on something personal, but, you know, even for me, who's deeply ingrained within Healthcare. I, I think I have 400 physicians in my phone, but even in uh, uh, Albuquerque, in which I, I currently live, I went to a PCP for a GI referral. I cannot get into that GI referral for another four or five months. Wow! Right, and that's just that experience from an access perspective. That I think, as they look to, you know, kind of a digital companies or solutions to close those care gaps and create a better continuity of care. It ultimately lends itself to these VBC principles um, that that I, I think others have have forged before us. Interesting. Interesting. So you just closed this, you know, this funding round. Where are you hoping to go in the next, you know, six to 12 months? You know, obviously you're launching and then where, where you kind of hope, where do you hope to be obviously in the next, you know, 12 months or so? Yeah. I mean, it's really milestones based. So I think it's one is proving uh, th- that delivery model that the wraparound services, the 24 seven access, you know, we hit those specific metrics that are defined in collaboration with our provider groups and the payers. Um, you know, of those, you know, cost of care, admissions, medication management, NPS, all of those kind of um, things in which we're measuring uh, are ultimately when you look 12 months from now, when we ultimately raise again, that we'll be able to to prove that and say, um, we did have these impact on, on these kind of cost buckets um, and, and experience for for the, the the patient in which we're ultimately um, providing. And then lastly, from a growth perspective, uh, we are starting with 100 providers, which is a lot um, in, in Arizona and New Mexico, but um, we are on the verge as well um, of having several hundred uh, by the end of this year and, and or early next year going into that with both networked cardiology uh, partners, as well as uh, health systems and, and payers that are constantly reaching out to us uh, to help solve their their cardiovascular, you know, spend issues uh, within their networks. Very cool. Very cool. My last question, I, I ask everybody when you're not building Carew Health, what, how do you find that balance? What are your passions outside of work? If, if there is that balance? <laughs> balance is a, is, is a unique word. Um, but, you know, listen, ultimately, I think that there's two fundamental things in my life. It's Karu, 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 and my family. Um, those are really the two things that are are, are the most, and, and family being first, 
but that's really where I spend the majority of, of my time um, in, in the off chance that I'm not working. Very good. Very good. Yeah. That's, that's certainly, certainly important. Um, and then the last thing is where, where can people find out more about Karoo Health? Where can they learn more, connect uh, and any platforms you're active on as well as where people connect with you as well? Yeah, they can visit uh, KaruHealth.com. Uh, just go through, they can connect with me, uh, personally via, via LinkedIn, uh, is probably a, a good site. Uh, and then there'll be more kind of platforms and handles, uh, that they connect post this, uh, fund announcement, uh, here in the next week. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Ian, thank you so much. This has been very insightful to value-based care and then, you know, the evolving role of cardiovascular medicine. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate it, Max. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour podcast presented by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your podcast platform of choice to catch the latest episodes. Please leave a comment or a review and share it with a friend. Lastly, you can find all of our podcasts, video courses, and books on our website, dviacademy.com. Thank you for listening.